Hi there. My name is Preston Puto. Welcome to the Lake Ridge Community Church Podcast. This is where we share some of our messages from Sunday mornings. So we're glad you're here to listen. We'd love for you to join us in person. We meet on Sunday mornings at 1030 a.m. at Our Lady of Wisdom School here in Chestermere. At our core, we're a community of people. So we gather on Sundays, but we also do a lot in the week together. We are people learning to follow Jesus and love our city. So to learn more, visit lakeridgecommunity.com. Hope to check in and visit with you soon. Take care. Thanks for listening. Hey, we are working through this uh, sermon series, and it's kind of written here on the banner, From Residents to Citizens and Neighbors. It's talking about a journey, because... Actually, we are on a journey as followers of Jesus. There's very little that's static uh, in, 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 in walking with Jesus. We are going somewhere. Today we are talking about this first part, from being a resident. And I said that this sermon would be tough because I'm going to open with a line that is both the worst line I've read and the best line that I have read. It is convicting and also really freeing. And this is how the story goes. A guy named uh, Donald Miller, he's an author, you maybe read some of his books, but he had another young author come to him, and he was writing a book. And as he was writing the book, uh, Donald Miller, he said that he heard his stories, and he was essentially a nihilist, which is somebody who does not believe there is meaning in life. And he kept going on, talking about the meaningless of it all, but he's going to write a really great book about the meaningless of it all, I guess. And Donald Miller stops him, and he says this, He says this, it's not that life is meaningless, but what if your life is meaningless? (laughs) It's not that life is meaningless, maybe it's just your life that is meaningless. And when I read that, I was struck to the core by this being the saddest line and the best line I've ever heard. The saddest line to come to terms with, maybe my life is meaningless. (laughs) And the best news that maybe life is still meaningless. Do you get the distinction, right? That the air we breathe, the life we live, the relationships we have, that there is meaning to be found. Even if I today maybe don't feel like there is meaning to be found, but it is there. I want to introduce you to Viktor Frankl. Uh, Viktor Frankl, he was writing on the meaning of life before uh, something tragic happened called World War II. He's a Jew in Nazi Germany, so you know how his story went. Viktor Frankl, he was taken, and his father, his brother, and his uh, mother and wife, they were all split up into different places. Some of them died of starvation, illness. Two of them died in the gas chamber, in the concentration camps. And Viktor, he spent three years in the camp, shriveling away, losing almost all of his body weight. And his wife had stitched into his clothes when he first went to the concentration camp, his... his, uh, his, first draft of his book about the meaning of life, (laughs) stitched it into his clothes. Well, of course, along the way, that was all taken away from him, and he had to rewrite his book in his mind on the meaning of life, and he got out the other side, and you might think that he got out the other side and said, zero meaning. I lost everybody I loved. I was hurt. I was rendered down to nothing. What is the meaning of it all after these atrocities? Well, instead of being a nihilist, believing in no meaning, he actually found out the other side that life has great meaning in spite of suffering. In fact, he believed that suffering brought meaning as awful as that might sound. 
The only way that I can talk about suffering bringing meaning is because there's Viktor Frankl's in the world that say so. And I guess I think I got to take a moment to trust what a guy like Viktor Frankl says. So I'm going to give us a moment here to hear what he has to say. Well, first of all, he believed that people have agency. It is not fate. It is not luck. It is not karma that affects our stories. It is not believing that every red light you hit is going to turn on when you show up to it. Because, well, you were born on the, when those stars were a certain wrong way in the sky, right? Viktor Frankl didn't believe in that. He believed in personal agency, meaning real humans had a real impact on whether they have meaning in life. Now, he's a Jewish guy, so he's rooted in this idea that I make some choices and God is making some choices, but it's not some nameless entity called the universe that is affecting me and I'm just uniquely meaningless while the person beside me is. He says meaning is something we experience in motion, not that we bemoan and roll over when we have a bad day. But we're moving through life, and we got to move through life to find meaning. We are given the opportunity to affect change, to impact meaning of our lives. Because we remember that inherently God made this life to have meaning. And so we may too if we join in. This is his idea. So how do we add meaning to our lives? Well, he says that there are three ways that we awaken the meaning that is already happening Around us. So these are the three ways of Viktor Frankl. One, he says this, do, make, create, fix, take action. Get on with something. <laughs> Wake up and fix something. Do something. Manufacture something. Get your hands dirty to fix, to gather, to grow. Write some music. Build a business. Do a marathon. Make. You were made for it. The physical human body was made to have hands to put stuff together, to take apart what is bad and to make peace. Get on with it, he says. Number two, he says, in, he says, encounter another, love them, and find beauty in humans. He says, love is the only way to grasp another human being in the innermost core of his personality. No one can be fully aware of his essence of another human unless he loves them. <laughs> you cannot participate in this human experience and have meaning in it if you do not love humans. <laughs> I have more to say on that. When we love others, we come alive to meaning. Maybe we discover that we are also alive too. Eh? Third one. Know that suffering is unavoidable. It is not necessary for meaning. If you somehow do avoid it in your life, well, bless you. right? But if you've lived long enough, uh, which I know Mel has, then he will know that suffering will come. But when it does come, and when it is here, Know that when it shows up and it will impact us, we need to know how to endure it and to step into the suffering with expectancy. Not that we will lose meaning when we suffer, but that we will actually find it. I tell the story as a beekeeper and a gardener. My wife was, I was in the back and I got stung by a bee and my ear had puffed up, right? I've, I've shared this story because I looked hilarious for a few days. And then my wife was in the front front. And uh, we met in the kitchen through our house, and she was coming in after trimming a bunch of roses, and she was bleeding. She was just like, she was chewed up, and so she's standing there with her arms up like this, dripping blood, and I'm there with my ear like the size of a dinner plate, and we're looking at each other, and we're like, this is the best day ever. <laughs> we're, we're suffering. We have been damaged. A lot of people ask me, why are you a beekeeper or a gardener? Don't, isn't that painful? And I go, sure it is, but I get to be close to something I love, right? 
The same with humans too. Are being around humans painful? Yes, that is the right answer. But if you want to live a meaningful life, you have to get close to them and you have to be hurt by them. And I am sorry that this is true. And this is what Viktor Frankl found. Is that you've got to get on doing something, you've got to love other people, and you have to be prepared to hurt. <laughs> and you will find the meaning of life. Residents to citizens and neighbors. This sermon is really about meaning. It's about how do I live this one and beautiful life? I believe that if you are part of a church community, you should be able to begin to answer that question. It's a multifaceted answer, but I think you should be able to come to terms with it and say, I think I know how or maybe who to follow to live this one and beautiful life. I think I know a pathway. Look at Frankl's three ways of finding meaning. It's about doing, loving, and suffering. You see, residents don't do these things. If you are a resident of this life, a resident is someone who is on the sidelines. They are aiming for their own comfort. Residents usually distance themselves from humans and ensure they get the most for the very least. Residents do not have meaning. They have stuff. They have isolation. They have a strange easiness about their life, but in a, when you really look at it, there is no ease or meaning or purpose because they are not known, they are not needed, and to many, they are not loved because they have not lived this particular life. In the end, meaning is what humans need the most, but we are not quite open to learning how to go there. So, this is what we sometimes do. We turn to addictions. <laughs> Last two nights out until like two in the morning, I'm a little bit tired, but I drive out with the police. And we meet a lot of people who are going in hard times. And what I have is actually growing compassion for people who lead addictive, destructive, or selfish behavior. I have compassion for them because they do not know that, that life has meaning. When you do not, addictions, they give us a momentary feeling of meaning, but it's purely synthetic. <laughs> Punching somebody for a moment may give you a moment where you're in charge of something, and then you get thrown in the jail, <laughs> right? It's a momentary thing. It's never the real deal, and it's not really what they were looking for in the first place. No one starts out their life looking for addictions and destructive behavior. But when we can't find meaning, we have to look for the synthetic alternative that's short and gives us a quick pop of something. So the hope here is not to actually deal with all of our addictions in this place. I don't drive around saying, hey, I heard what you've been up to. <laughs> it used to be that the pastor's job was to do that. To go around and say, mm, I checked your Facebook. You have a few too many drinks going on there, right? I've been counting them up. i got a spreadsheet going. No, I don't think, and I don't think Jesus does that a lot too. I think it's at the heart of when you find the meaning of this purpose in life, I actually do not think you, I think you will overcome addictions. I don't think you will need it anymore. I don't think you'll need to downput your spouse. I don't think you will need to hit and put up your elbows through life looking to win because you know who you are and, more importantly, whose you are. The book of Proverbs, it's full of language uh, urging us to live the meaningful life. It's, it's about, and it's also full of a caution for those who, not, who do not value this one and beautiful life. I grew up, my dad would read the Proverbs, and that's how I first encountered them because we would, they, they're, they're little short, trite phrases. And they go something like this. Here's a couple of them. It is a sin to belittle one's neighbor. Blessed are those who help with the poor. <laughs> it's a, just a simple thing, right? 
but it really sets up. Those who have meaning are caring for the poor and speaking well of their neighbors. Those that aren't, well, that's, that's a sin. Don't choose your path. Or one like this, unfriendly people care only about themselves. They lash out at common sense. <laughs> These are meant to be nuggets of wisdom that walk us through to say, how do we live this one and beautiful life? Well, there are two ways, and you have human agency in it. You make a decision as to what path you're going to go down. Now, are you going to go down the path of the fool alone and end up on the rocks on the other side? Or are you going to go with the one who made you and who shows you how to live this one and beautiful life? Because actually the point of the Proverbs isn't to say that in your human agency you know how to get there. The point of the Proverbs is to say in your human agency that's where you're going and you're going to need somebody to walk with you. You're going to need to find a way to get there. And this is where God and uh, Jesus steps into the scene. Jesus, he uses some of this language in the book of Luke. And in Luke 12, he pretty much says a little proverb. And he lands it. Because Jesus, he's the real deal, right? It goes like this. Luke 12, 16, it says, Then he told them a story. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. He said to himself, what should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. Then he said, I know. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll have room enough to store all my wheat and other goods. Then, get this, he stores it up. Then I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, you have stored enough away for years to come. Now take it easy. Eat, drink, and be merry, right? He's going to be a resident, right? He is going to now, he, he, he done good, right? He done good, and he's going to now sit back, and the problem isn't in the doing good. The problem is what he's going to do with it, right? He's going to sit back now. Look at me getting all southern some, somehow. I don't, I don't know how that southern accent creep, crept, crept in there, but it sounded cool for a second. Okay. But God said to him, you fool. Now, it might seem stark, but this is how every proverb goes. The fool lives like this. And the righteous person that knows the meaning of their life does this. He says, you fool, you will die this very night. Then who will get everything you worked for? And Jesus follows up. He says, yes, a person is a fool who stores up earthly wealth, but does not have a rich relationship with God. Interesting. Jesus brings out his, his own proverb. He says, you're a fool if you, if you want to sit back and relax, but you don't know God. You aren't a citizen of his kingdom. You aren't joining in with the things that God is doing. You're just a resident. Jesus, he gets to the heart of it. We can try to sit back and be a resident of this life. Sideline it. Stay away from, from people. But you're a fool if you do, he says. You see, because he knows how life works. He isn't saying this because he's being a jerk. He's saying this because he knows that you can only live one way. You can only live alive to God who is your guide who is walking with you. You need to know that you have agency. That you have agency, you can make stuff happen, but you need to reorder your life to have an experience of meaningfulness that it already is. You see, agency isn't about having it all together. It's not about knowing all the easy or right answers. It's just stepping in to participate with God who knows how life works. And we step along and we say, we're going to follow you. So where did we get in the groove of being residents of this world and in our faith? How did we fall off the rails here? This is a tough part, but I'm going to, I can talk about this because this is close to, to home for me. I want to talk about church for a second, and I want to talk to you about a phrase called the McDonaldization of 
church. I don't know if you've heard of this before. It's the McDonaldization of our faith, and it's the McDonaldization of church. I love a McDouble. We've been on a diet recently, and I've not had a McDouble for a month. But let me tell you, those things are a slice of heaven. You can just, it doesn't matter where you are, but if you see those golden arches, you can turn off, drive through the window, tap, tap, food in mouth, greasy, cheesy, meaty goodness, and you are good to go. And your guts are good to go, too, in about an hour, right? Like, like there's, there's, there's this cycle here, right? But we do it. I'm the first one to it. I, I love McDonald's. So, but listen to it. Authors Chris Smith and John Pattison, they say that these four things have crept into our faith. And they are these, efficiency, calculability, predictability, and control. This is what we have done. The church is to be efficient. Make my faith easy, quick, and to my liking. The long journey of prayer, the ache of meeting other people, or suffering, this is not allowed in my faith today. If it's found here, then I'm going to find a more efficient church, or maybe none at all. Well, guess what? Jesus was not so efficient, was he? He poured into a few. Not a very good systems developer here, right? He poured into a few, and many of them doubted, and many of them even walked away. Not efficient. Was he efficient? Or maybe did he care to be? Maybe he wasn't making an efficient church. Second one, church is to be calculated. We don't have a lot of time, pastor. We don't have a lot of time. And church, we try to squeeze it into an hour. But Preston, he's probably going to go over just a wee bit here. Listen, we don't have time, but we want others to change. We want our neighbors to change. We want to fix everything, but we don't have the time to create community. So we measure our involvement instead of enjoying it. We don't work or Sabbath well. But here's Jesus, he shows us, uh, Jesus, uh, he got away with the Father. He taught his disciples to do the time, and he invites us to waste our time with Jesus. Third one, church is to be predictable. Comfortable experiences, though, do not make for disciples. But we love our comfort. Victor Frankl, he says, What man actually needs is not a tensionless state, but rather the striving and struggling for some goal worthy of him. There's a goal worthy of humans. Jesus invited his followers to see this big, grand, beautiful work of God in others. And last one, church in my faith is under my control. You see, because the first three, we aren't very good at it. We discover that we aren't efficient, we don't calculate well, and we aren't predictable. So we, what do we got to do with the others we meet? Control them. Have you ever tried to control your spouse? It does not work, right? I have tried. Kelly is very, very independent. She does her own thing. But it's true of everyone here. I'm not trying to control you. And I don't think God is trying to control you. Control is not a way that we do things. We don't cajole or manipulate. Jesus, he did not control. Instead, he did something that's hard to even believe that he loved people. That's how he brought about hope. That's how he's doing it with you right now. He knew what God was doing behind the scenes. And so he had this deep faith. He could put his whole life even onto a cross. Because he knew how the story went. When we follow Jesus' disciples, we do not need to control even ourselves, but we can say, I know how this story goes. I trust. The McDonaldization of our faith has made us ultimately residents of a soul that feels sterile. We live in an empty box because we have not experienced uh, what I'm going to call the re-enchantment of our faith. We aren't enchanted by the one that made the whole world want to talk to you, and somehow we're going through the drive through because we do not know. As C.S. Lewis says, 
we have given up a day at the beach because we can't imagine a field of ocean and beach, so we sit in a sandbox instead. We do not know. Jesus is coming to re-enchant our faith. So what do we do? We live in the drive-thru of a box store faith, never sitting down for a real meal with others. We hide, we yell, we grump, we feel helpless, and our faith does not provide meaning because we have not lived into the meaning of this life. Jesus, he is not going to have any of it. <laughs> in his sermon on the mount, uh, which was read this morning, uh, Jesus, he comes in and he wants us to taste our faith. He wants us to come alive with it. He says this, you are the salt of the earth. That's tasty stuff. Monosodium glutamate, that stuff's delicious if you've ever had it. You are the monosodium glutamate of the earth. But what good is salt if it loses its flavor? Can you make it salty again? Well, it'll be thrown out and trampled underfoot. It's worthless. You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket. Instead, the lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see, so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Taste, salty, and see. He is echoing this psalm we read today from Psalm 34. It's the one I memorized when I was a kid. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. We are meant to have tasty lives visible lives that are lighting things up. That's why we have a candle on this image here that, that, that we use. We put Jesus at the center so that we can see. We aren't people walking in darkness, but we're walking in a great light. We are no longer residents stuck through a drive-through drive -through lane of our faith. We're not here to get our bag of fast food and fast faith and end up in a pile believing life is meaningless. No, we are citizens of a king. We belong to someone. God, from the start, has us doing a thing, making a thing. When he made Adam, guess what he said? He said, I want to show you how to garden, and then you're going to start making babies, right? And if you've, had made, and if you've made babies and you've got babies living in your house, that's a lot of work, right? He has us on making things. We're on to get on with loving humans. Jesus says, start with your neighbors. Love them next door. I put some weird ones right beside you because you'll find it an adventure, and then we're not to worry if it hurts, if you're bleeding a bit, if you're walking with a limp, if you got a bruise out of the deal. Well, Jesus shows us how by hanging on a cross. Jesus shows us what it is to lay down your life for another, for a brother, because of love. He says, I'm not just telling you to do this, I'm going to show you what it is to lay down your life. And so he says this, he says, if you follow me, pick up your cross and follow me. <laughs> Be comfortable with getting hurt a little bit here. Be comfortable with laying down your life. Because you know what? If you do, I am here with you. Do love and don't worry if you suffer. Frankl, I believe, he met Jesus in the concentration camps. I think he understood what the meaning of life is because he met Jesus who came to him. And I think he met the one who moved him from being a mere resident of that horrible place to a citizen of God's kingdom that could see the pure meaning that life had no matter what. <laughs> this Whatever life you feel like you are in right now, whether you feel stuck or free, whatever it is, I think right now Jesus is entering your story and saying, I'm going to show you how to live this life. Not feeling around in the dark, in a tasteless, bland experience, but I think that he is inviting us and welcoming us to a life awakened. 
a life re-enchanted, taste buds alive, eyes bright to see that this one and beautiful life does have meaning. (laughs) And that your life has meaning too. No longer residents, but people alive to Christ. Doesn't that sound good? (laughs) I want that. I want that for me and I want that for you. Because I think our church is going to look different if we want one over the other. And your faith is going to look different if we want one or the other. But somebody needs to stand up and say, this is why it's different. And this is who we turn to. Please stand with me. Heavenly Father, thank you that you do not leave us alone. I am sad for Viktor Frankl and the journey that he had to go through. And I do not know how to resolve sometimes the suffering of this life. But Heavenly Father, it seems to me that you stepped right into it to work, to love, and to suffer. And you say, come follow me. I'll show you how to live. Take my burden. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let me show you how to live life well. Friends, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and grant you his peace as you go from here today. Amen?